you are listening to the sermon podcast from Bethel Covenant Church. We're an evangelical covenant congregation outside Ellsworth, Wisconsin. You can learn more about us at BethelCov.org. Thanks for listening. So as, as Mike read, we're in uh, Matthew chapter 5, uh, verse 1 through 10. And that's on page 936 of the Pew Bibles, if you are looking at that. And I lost my page as I picked this up, so I'm going to find it too. Perfect. So as, as you guys know, uh, last couple weeks we've been uh, gone in Colorado and uh, we went to church. When we're back in, in Colorado, we go to the church that I grew up in. And, and you, you've maybe never heard this before, but I grew up in a, in a church plant, a started church, uh, just like Renew or The Crossing. Pastor Michelle was here a couple weeks ago. Or, or Mid-Current, that's the kind of church I grew up in. When I was about six years old, my parents joined a team that helped plant this church. And since I was a little boy, I grew up at this church with this particular pastor. And so it's always had a, a special uh, place in, in my heart. This is the place that I started to, for the very first time, uh, uh, the place that I encountered Christ for the first time. You know, this is the place that I understood what it meant to be a disciple for the first time. This is the place that I started to sense a call for ministry in my own life. And so it's, it's a very special place. And, and the pastor there is still the pastor that's been there the whole life of this this church plant, and, and over the time that I, were there, I was there, you know, we started off meeting in schools, and then for a while we met in a, in a strip mall location, right next to a sports bar. That was really cool, let me tell you, because right after, right? Um, <clears throat> but at some point, we, our church got a gift of land, and we got to build a building, uh, and it's, it's a small uh, concrete box is this building, but it's an elegant box because they could form the concrete so it looks really nice. But, and that happened when I was in high school. And so whenever I am back in Colorado, I get to go and, and worship in this church. It's, uh, it's an interesting church because in the community of Colorado Springs, people are constantly coming and going. So every time I uh, come back to church, there's a whole bunch of new people that I've never met before that uh, and a whole bunch of people that I knew pretty well that have moved to other states or moved on to other places, so it's always kind of interesting. Uh, but our second Sunday um, that I was gone when uh, Leanne was here, uh, it's really fun as a pastor to not have to do anything on, on Sunday. So we got to go to church, and so we got up and, and got the boys ready. My dad and mom were already there because my dad um, was playing bass on the worship team. <laughs> and we were running a little late. <laughs> And so we stopped to get coffee, because if you're going to be late, you might as well have coffee with you. Um, and so we're kind of sneaking in. The service had already started. Um, so this is what happens when I don't have to be here early, as I'm sneaking in the back. And as we're walking around the back of the church, um, we notice um, paint. Um, somebody has, has spray painted just all over uh, the back. You can't see it from the front. But the back of the church as we're sneaking in, there's, there's spray paint. And, and some of it, I gather, was uh, pretty inappropriate because there was cardboard laid out to cover some of it, um, but not all of it. And it was, it was a little shocking, you know, all over the side of the, the building and the sidewalks. And uh, I'll probably always remember the, the biggest thing they spray painted was, you know, of course, was Merry Christmas. <laughs> and you're like, really? You know, like, what kind of person does that. And as I'm coming into worship, that's the first thing that I saw. And it, and it, was, it was sad. And it, it's interesting because 
Not that long ago, if you believe the signature, the same person uh, vandalized uh, that church. Um, and it was turned out to be kind of a cool story. The whole community came around them and helped them clean it up and raised money to take care of it. Um, but of course, now here we are again in 2020, the new year, the start right, of a new decade. Like, what does God have for us this year? And it's, and it's vandalism. And it, it was a little heartbreaking. Um, and as we came into worship, um, our, I remember thinking, you know, the pastor I grew up with, I was like, I don't know what I would do if I got here at, uh, you know, seven when I normally get here and, and somebody had done something like that. Like, how do you um, lead the rest of that day? How do you worship? But as we walked in the door, um, this congregation, we were all gathered in worship. Uh, we uh, sang praises, sang songs, and continued with the service and, and, and mentioned that this had happened, but... Um, we're able to kind of keep going, to keep praising God. But, but it's moments like that <clears throat> uh, that, sort of, you know, to me, it just sort of captured something that I've been feeling a little bit in, in this new year. You know, this new year was starting off really good, uh, you know, a new decade. I, I was thinking to myself that I've been alive now in four different decades. So that's, that's pretty cool. Um, and you're asking, you know, God, what do you have for me? And then all of a sudden, all this stuff happens. You know, it's like New Year's Day, um, the stuff we were talking about with, you know, tensions with a foreign country, right? It's 2020. It hasn't even been 2020 for more than a few hours. And we're like, is there going to be a, a war? It's scary. And you're like, really, Lord? Or, you know, I was visiting with a friend of mine, and he's telling me all about the fires in, in Australia. And you're like, it's 2020, the new year. What's God going to do? And apparently, a whole continent is, like, on fire. And you're like, really, Lord? Why? Um, one second. So it looks like I've misplaced my clicker, Andy. So we're going to have to work together this morning. You can move on to the next slide. Um, and and I, we start to ask that question. And, and I was asking this question on Sunday morning. And, and it seemed like this year, this whole first two weeks, it's just been one thing after another where you're like, you know, why is, is that person going through that? Why is that person sick? Or why... Um, why do I have to, to mourn? You know, we're, we're asking this question. This is the question that we always ask when these things happen. You know, it's, it's supposed to be different. Why, God, uh, is it like this? And, and where are you in the middle of it? Um, <clears throat> and fortunately for us, as I, I think our scripture today actually has a lot to do with this question. So we're just going to dive in uh, to what God's word has to say. And, and I think... Um, this question, you know, it, it comes up and it was asked, and asking this question is one of the best ways, if you're in a place where you're asking this question right now, um, you're uniquely able to understand God's words here, Jesus' words here in, in Matthew. So um, as we, we continue on, has, how many of you have heard what, what Mike read this morning or parts of it, the Beatitudes? Yeah, this is like one of those passages of scripture, you know, if you ask like, like uh, filmmakers and uh, TV people or whatever. This is like in the TV and movie part of the Bible, you know, right? Like, blessed are the poor in spirit. You know, you could ask just about anybody they've heard. They've heard that. And, and we've heard it so many times that maybe we think, okay, I, I get this. I understand what this is. Or maybe you think, I don't know. It's, it's supposed to mean something. But we're going to try and kind of dig into it a little bit. Because throughout history, um, uh, Christians have really struggled. And, and scholars and preachers have really struggled with what exactly is Jesus trying to say? Um, 
by, by talking about these, these eight things. You're on the right track, Andy, thank you. Um, <clears throat> these eight things. Um, <clears throat> and so sometimes we say, you know, is it, is it like eight things that we should have? You know, like if we're real Christians, when I grew up, it's like we should, you know, all these things should be in our life. We should be poor in spirit, we should be mourners, we should be meek, we should be hungry for righteousness, merciful, pure in heart, peacemakers, and we should be persecuted. And if you're not those things, then you're not um, blessed. You know, is, is that it? That's what some people have asked. Some people, it's sort of like, you know, it's a checklist of things to do. Uh, on the other side, maybe we say, you know, this list and the whole Sermon on the Mount is just included by Jesus to make us feel really bad so that we know we need Jesus. That's a common one. Um, but I actually don't think it, it is captured by either of those, um, either of those ways of understanding. Uh, I think uh, this, especially these eight statements, um, they really have a lot to say to us when we're asking where God is in those kinds of moments. But um, to start, we should, we should start with, with two questions. Um, and Mike actually hit on both of these as he was reading. You know, first of all, who is Jesus talking to in this moment? Whenever you're reading scripture, that should be one of the first questions you always ask is, is who is uh, the author talking to in this moment? Because if you've ever talked to somebody else, you know it matters who you're talking to to understand what you mean. And the second question is, what does it mean to be blessed? And so Mike really captured the first question very well. Um, the people that are around Jesus are uh, this crowd of people that has formed, and it's formed mostly because of the things Jesus is doing. So if you were here a few weeks ago, um, when Pastor Michelle was here, she talked about Jesus in the desert, facing temptation. Uh, well, when Jesus comes out of the desert, uh, he walks around doing like three things. He teaches uh, he preaches, uh, and what he preaches, the message that he preaches is the same message that John the Baptist preached. He says, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. So he's, he's teaching and preaching about this thing called the kingdom has come near. Uh, and the third thing he's doing is he's walking around healing people who are sick. And, and just like if somebody uh, walked down the street and was throwing like $100 bills in the air, uh, as Jesus is healing people who are sick, a larger and larger crowd of people start following him. And it's the kinds of people you would think would follow a healer, right? It's sick people. <laughs> it's, uh, and Matthew talks about them this way. He says, you know, it's people who are, are demon-possessed. Um, everybody thinks they're, they're crazy, right? People having seizures, people who are paralyzed, uh, people with various diseases, people um, suffering severe pain. So this is a, a crowd of people, and some of them, many of them have been healed by Jesus. Uh, many of them maybe are still waiting for that. And as Jesus comes to these towns, more and more people are gathering because they or people they know are sick, uh, because their lives are not going well. And the other people that are here are the uh, disciples that Jesus called. Uh, and so far, he's only called four disciples, four fishermen that he said, hey, why don't you guys follow me? So that's who's here. That's who's sitting on the mountain. And that's who Jesus is, is calling blessed. And so then we got to ask, right, what does blessed mean? Well, uh, the easiest way, I think the most clear way to understand what this means is just, is just happy, actually. Um, it's not so much like spiritual points from God. It's it's really more, Jesus is saying, happy are the people who are, are like this. And the most straightforward translation is, is happy, uh, or maybe ought to be happy, or, or will be happy. So we've got a, a bunch of sick and hurt people, 
They're all around Jesus on top of this mountain. And Jesus is telling them kind of eight uh, things that, according to Jesus, mean you, sh- you, should, be, you should be happy. Uh, so, so here's what we got. It's kind of like uh, we did Proverbs this summer. And, and Proverbs talks about all these ways. You know, happy is the person that, you know, um, you know makes the right choice or whatever, or has uh, wealth. It's, it's those kind of things. And so Jesus is saying, you want to know, what I think um, leads you to be a, a happy person, right? If you want to know my eight steps to live a happy life, uh, these are them. Um, so he starts. He says, you know, blessed, happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Happy are the, the poor. And sometimes we get caught up on this. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? Is it, is it that you don't have a lot of money? Is it that you're not, like, very spiritual? Um, in the ancient world, you really couldn't separate faith from your money because everything was together. So people that people thought of as good spiritual leaders, they had plenty of money. And people that didn't have very much money weren't really listened to by, by anybody. So he starts with, blessed are the poor in spirit. Uh, poor people, people that don't have much, people that aren't listened to. Uh, the next three, is, as Andy has up on the slide now, uh, perfect. Um, <clears throat> The blessed are those who mourn, uh, happy. You ought to be happy if you're mourning. Uh, you ought to be happy if you're meek. And you ought to be happy if you hunger and thirst for righteousness. So, so all three of these people, um, I think we can understand it better if we look at hunger and thirst for righteousness. So who uses the word righteousness on a daily basis? Yeah, nobody, right? And what does it mean to be righteous? Um, we don't talk this way, but in, the, in Jesus' day, in his understanding, uh, righteousness is, you know, it's something that is given by God, that comes from God. Um, but what it, it represents is, is sort of um, right, good relationships between people. Uh, so if you're, if you're a righteous person, it means that you, you have good, you know, the things are, are going well between you and other people. Uh, a great example is like if somebody stole your, your goat, um, you would be hungry for somebody to come and, and make it right, right? If somebody stole your goat, you'd go to the court and you'd hope the court would make them give your, your goat back. Uh, you're hungry for somebody to come in and bring righteousness, uh, a fix to this problem. Somebody messed up. And so if somebody's hungry for righteousness, um, what do they need? It means they don't have um, righteousness in a situation. They don't have justice in a situation. If you're hungry for righteousness, it means that somebody's wronged you and it's not fair and you're waiting for somebody to come help you out. You know, it's like when, uh, you know, you're in the, in the back of, this, this never ever happened to me, but you're in the back of like science class or whatever and somebody's talking to you and you're like, no, shh, be quiet. And the teacher yells at you for like making noise, right? You're hungry for righteousness. You're like, no, 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 but he was the one that was talking, and the teacher doesn't have any time for that. Um, that's what it means to be hungry for righteousness. So if somebody's hungry for righteousness, they're longing for justice. It means they're not getting it, that people are wronging them, and there's nothing they can do about it. If you're meek, uh, meek is another way of talking about being insignificant, somebody that nobody listens to and, and nobody cares what they think. And so if you're meek, maybe you're longing to be heard, and if you're Mourning, and we all know what mourning is. Uh, many of us have experienced it, and if you haven't, you will. If you're mourning, you're, you're longing for something too, right? You're longing for that person to be, to be back, 
right? It's a desperate longing. So all three of these, Jesus is saying, blessed, happy are the people who are miserable longing, is what what he's saying, right? Uh, Those who desire justice but aren't getting it, those who um, nobody listens to, those who wish that their lives could be put back together, but it's just not happening. Jesus says, those people ought to be happy, he continues, um, with merciful, pure in heart, and peacemakers. Um, These three all sort of go together too. Um, Merciful people are are people that care for other people when they're uh, in the middle of times of longing, right? Blessed are the merciful. Happy are the merciful. Pure in heart people, uh, they're people that that do things for the the right reasons. Uh, Hungry for righteousness or peacemakers are are people that are, are bringing restored relationships. Those people that are hurting, right? The person that's hungry for righteousness, a peacemaker comes in and helps make it right, now, uh, before we continue to the next one, um, does this sound like a good list of things to be or do that are going to lead to happiness? It does. It does. I, so I don't, I don't think so at all. I don't think any of these things in life lead to happiness. Have you ever tried to make peace between two people that hate each other? Did that lead to happiness for you? No, right? It probably ended. Um, with both of them hating you, and, and maybe their relationship was restored with how much they can't stand you. <laughs> Have you ever um, mourned somebody? Did it lead to happiness? I, I know ha- mourning is the, the opposite of, of happiness. Have you ever showed somebody mercy and had them um, cheat you again? Or throw it in your face or turn their back on you anyway, Right? Um, If you've ever tried these things out, um, you might have found that they've not led to uh, happiness in in your life, right? Have you ever been really poor, uh, where you couldn't actually put food on the table? That doesn't sound like a very happy uh, circumstance. And and so this last one, persecuted, this is our eighth thing. Um, Persecuted people, according to Jesus, are are happy. Um, Persecuted is sort of what all of these things lead to, right? If you're poor... If you're mourning, if you're unimportant and insignificant, if you're never getting justice, if you're uh, merciful towards others that nobody else cares about, if you're pure in heart and you only do things for the right reasons, and if you try and make peace with other people, guess what? You might have experienced some persecution. And Jesus says, happy are those who are persecuted for righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And, and we read this all the time, and they seem like these good attributes that you should strive for, uh, but... You know, I'm not, I'm not sure they are because what Jesus is saying is this, and it's on the next slide, I think, yep, is that um, blessed, happy are the, the people in poverty. Happy are the people who are just beset by longing, who so desperately want something different. And happy are the people who are persecuted because they're helping out people who are, are longing <laughs> and who are struggling with each other. Uh, And so Jesus says, these people are going to be happy. And if we're honest with ourselves, and we think about what these things actually mean, uh, you can go to the the next slide. The problem is that it it doesn't seem true, (laughs) right? If you're sitting there with Jesus and you're uh, a poor person or a peacemaker who's been persecuted for making peace, you know that it sure doesn't seem to lead to your happiness. In fact, real world, and just, you know, this is our common sense, real world common sense says that insignificant and poor people, they suffer, right? 
If you're insignificant and nobody cares about you or cares what you think and you don't have resources, you're going to have a rough life. That's what common sense says. Common sense says people who are are deeply longing for something, um, they often don't get it. People who, and and third, uh, common sense says people who act on those longings on behalf of others, people that really care, that give up everything to help somebody else, a lot of times they wind up suffering worse than they did before. Common sense says you are far better off looking out for yourself. And, and if you have those longings, if, you, if your heart breaks for poor people or mourning people or hurt people, uh, you'd better push those longings down because you're going to have a, a happier life if you don't get busy, caught up in all that stuff. Common sense uh, says it, you're much better off striving for wealth and respect and privilege and turning your back on those kinds of people who are struggling. Far better off if none of those eight things um, apply to you, uh, and, and it's interesting, and we struggle with this, and I, and I struggle with it, and I think this is why uh, Christians have had such a hard time with this passage, because um, it's hard to make sense out of what Jesus is, is saying, because we want to be happy, and the things that he's saying uh, make us happy or make us ought to be happy don't seem like things we want, um, but it, it's, uh, here's kind of how it, how it comes together. So uh, here's where we're at, right? Who are the people with Jesus? They're the sick, the hurt, the insignificant. So Jesus is, is literally, he's sitting on the side of a mountain, and he's surrounded by the people he just described. Okay, so if the first people that heard this, as they went through that eight checklist of things, they're like, yep, don't have much. Yep, I'm hurt. Yep, things are really bad, Jesus. Where's the good news here? He's surrounded by these kinds of people, people who know the depths of mourning, People who know poverty and insignificance and people who will know what persecution feels like. And and so as far as Jesus is concerned, as he's standing on this mountain surrounded by all these people that exemplify these eight things, as far as Jesus is concerned, that mountain, um, it must be Disneyland. (laughs) Because according to Jesus, it's the happiest place on earth. Uh, But their lives and their common sense tells them that those qualities, those parts of their lives are things that they wish would change because they do not lead to happiness. And I think there are people all over this room who've tasted some of those eight things. And if you've tasted mourning, I don't have to tell you you (laughs) that you don't want to mourn any longer. Uh, But here's, here's the thing. It's not a surprise to Jesus or to Matthew um, that this doesn't sound right. In fact, Jesus is trying to make a really strong point about what he means when he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is coming near. He's trying to make a big point about that, what that means, and he's trying to make it in the starkest possible terms. What Jesus is trying to say is that the common sense way of the world, uh, the kind of world we live in that uh, steps on people who try and make peace with others. Uh, the common sense world we live in that says, I better turn my back on that person who's suffering so they don't bring me down. The common sense way of the world that we live in that says the meek ought to be ignored and pushed down. And Jesus is saying in the starkest possible terms, that common sense way of looking at the world is wrong. Uh, that it's not okay that those things happen to people. Uh, What he's trying to say is the world is actually full of darkness, but light is is coming. 
And that's what he means when he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is here. The point that Jesus is trying to make, and if you stick with us through Matthew, he's going to make it just over and over and over again, is, is this. That the common sense world we accept as normal is completely dominated by evil and darkness. Uh, that's the point he's trying to make, that, that um, our whole world, it's owned by that same one, the evil one that offered Jesus his kingdoms in the desert. Um, what Matthew's trying to say is that the things we accept as normal, that the weak get pushed down and the strong get ahead, the things we can't imagine life without are actually not how it's meant to be. They're actually a result of evil. What Jesus and Matthew are trying to say is that darkness and sin and evil, it, it touches and dominates every single person, place, and system we interact with. It's so a part of our lives that we can't imagine dealing with evil without using evil to defeat it. You can't even go to Disneyland without encountering evil, according to Jesus. We're slaves to it without even knowing it. To the point where it seems normal and uh, part of life that a person with a pure heart or a person who desires to be a peacemaker, that, that will obviously lead to them having a rough life. Matthew claims and Jesus claims that the problem that Jesus is here uh, to solve is so deep and so fundamental and it touches every part of life that we can't even see it. It's like asking a fish what it's like to be so wet all the time. And so by blessing the bottom, uh, by Jesus saying, happy are you who are going through these things, he's saying that that common sense way of the world is not normal and you don't have to pretend that it is He's saying that we can refuse to pretend it's okay when somebody's suffering when it's not. Uh, we can refuse to numb ourselves from our own hurts and the hurts of others. And we ought to refuse to join into that common sense way of the world that says, this is just how it is and we all got to get by by grabbing whatever I can for myself. Instead, um, we're called, and that's on the next slide, uh, to grab on to Jesus this is what he comes to. He says, the world is evil. Grab onto me because I'm building a new world in the middle of an old, dark one. And so when we ask, when we're in those moments, when things happen to us and the people we care about, when we find ourselves trying to make peace between people and having it, it come back and hit us in the face, when we find ourselves doing the right thing and, and having it not... Um, having it not work out the way uh, we hope, we ask, right, where is God in this? Well, he's right next to us. Jesus reminds us that God doesn't want the world to be this way. He wants to change it into a new one. And so where is God in the middle of this? He's, he's right next to you as you mourn in the darkness. But he's also right next to you shining light. He's right next to you, inviting you and inviting me to join in to what shining light means. And as we read the rest of the Sermon on the Mount over the next two weeks, and as we look at Jesus' life, uh, we'll find that he lives this out and that he calls us um, to live uh, against what we think of as common sense. Uh, instead, to live according to this new world, uh, to grab onto him and trust that he's working in us and through us, that he's at work taking this old common sense world and he's, he's wiping it away and replacing it with something better.
because uh, those tragedies, those wrong things, that it's not how it's supposed to be. In this next year, I, I pray for myself and, and for all of you that we might grab on to Jesus, that we might let him change our common sense, that we might let him transform what we think is normal and okay away from this uh, common sense way of the world towards uh, what it means to be a part of a new kingdom. May we start living in the new kingdom that he's building. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we constantly make excuses for the dark world that we live in. We say it's normal that these things happen. We say it's normal that the weak get persecuted. We say it's normal that we have to uh, do evil things to get good results. But you came uh, to earth to transform this world, to make it something new, to bring it back uh, to what you imagined it would be in creation. You started your kingdom on earth and you invited us to join in. You came and lived and died and rose again so that we might turn to you and be transformed. So that we might turn to you and, and be set free of the sin that grips at us in every part and trust that one day we'll rise again to resurrection in you. God, we thank you for what you've done. And we thank you for what you're doing even if we can't see it. Help us to be uh, little outposts of your kingdom of light in the middle of a dark world. In your name, amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon podcast from Bethel Covenant Church. We're an evangelical covenant church outside Ellsworth, Wisconsin, and you can find out more about us at BethelCov.org.